Welcome to Nuringham Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Alongside me, Mr. Jack Piatelli, wearing the North Face, wearing his logo. He's got the hat on. We're ready to go today. Yeah, really excited. We have a great guest coming up, and it's hard to believe the lacrosse season, collegiate season, is right around the corner, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching a lot of lacrosse. Yeah, you might even open this notebook and do something with it. Maybe. I doubt it, though. Yeah, me too. We should, we should welcome our, our guest, Johns Hopkins head coach, Pete Milliman. Coach, how are we doing? Good. How are you guys? We're doing Good. great. Going great. We're yeah. doing fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Other than trying to roast each other to begin the show and then failing miserably, we're, we're doing really well. I think Coach and I, uh, Jack and I, know you from different places. I remember you from way back playing in the MLL, which I think people, Ooh. you kind of, we're on what I think is the greatest pro lacrosse team of all time, 2008 mm-hmm. Rochester Rattlers. I'm on I'm board. Being, I agree. It's the greatest team of all time. And I think we've kind of seen each other here and there. We know we have a lot of people in common. And actually, I've, I think I've heard about you being a coach when you were at Pfeiffer, which probably seems like a different life ago. I didn't know the news made it out of town that much <laughs> from Pfeiffer, but... Uh... Yeah, it's, it, it's, I don't know, those lacrosse circles, they always come back around and, and you get to know the people at different stages of your life. And, and lo and behold, you're, you're probably going to know them for a handful of decades. So it's cool. Well, if you stay in it, or I like to say, if you're dumb enough to stay in it like me or smart enough to stay in it like Jack, it's pretty inevitable. We have, we have a running joke between us that if you put our phone like contacts together, it's probably everyone in lacrosse, at least in the Northeast. I think that's probably fair, right? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it works out. If you stick around long enough, right? You get to know a number of people. So I've been around a long time. Yeah. Or, I remember, that? Kyle, I'm going to interrupt you. I remember reading an article you wrote when you were coaching. Was it Daniel Webster? Yeah. 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 I remember reading something that you were right because you were still, as you went into the full-time coaching, you were still writing. And I remember reading that. And, and that was one of the things I, I enjoyed most. I mean, I, I've read your stuff for a while, but I, I thought that was, it was on point. It was hilarious and, and, and entertaining. It was good stash. Well, I appreciate that. It's great to work here at NELJ now and make it my full-time living. And I get to coach high school that. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Coach, we've had probably over a hundred college coaches on this podcast. It's the first time a coach has come out and said they enjoy reading Kyle's work. First time. So I commend you for that. Yeah. Were you the only one that read that article? Oh uh, maybe God. maybe the other coaches aren't reading the tabloids like I am. So yeah, hopefully not. Your your own Campbell came on here and said he loved it too. So let's No, nah, no, you do great work. He did. Thank you, you. You do great work. You really do. Coach, let's so, talk about Hopkins. Well, thanks for paying me for say, to say yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. A little under the table. Let's talk about Hopkins. I, I think it's one of the most high, I don't want to say stress, but it's it's one of the positions in lacrosse, one of the coaching positions in lacrosse where it was ubiquitous with with a person, Dave Petromala, for so long, and then you took over after him, and you had already proven your bona fides at Cornell and, and several other places. What has the difference been kind of building and reshaping the team in your own image since you were hired in 2020? I mean, there's, there's a, a bit there in that question, but I would start by saying I'm not trying to reshape anything in my image as much as this, this, this programs and what, what I, what I know about the way I do things and, and just trying to be honest and, and, and authentic to that. But it, it takes some time to get to know the, 
the team, the guys that you're with, the, the the program, the environment, the university. I mean, a lot of this was was new to me. I'd never been to Hopkins. I'd never obviously worked here, played here, and and so there's a, there's just a lot of, of of tradition. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of uniqueness that t- that takes some time to to learn and to understand. And and about the guys that play here, and got the guys that used to play here, and about the guys that you need to recruit here. So it's it, it's been great so far. I mean, it was it was everybody was living in a crazy world in in 2020 and through that pandemic and that first year with all sorts of weird rules and restrictions and whatnot. But changing jobs in that time was was kind of on another planet. And so it it, it just was a, a lot of learning, a lot of experience that we all had to go through and and, and take with it what we could. But it's 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 been amazing. It's been an exciting ride. We're we're on our way again. We just started this week, and so we're back in the in the mix and, and doing our thing again. So it's been great. Coach, I remember it was your last year at Cornell, but you only lasted five games because of COVID, but you were ranked second in the in the country at the time. And I think you had just beaten Ohio State at Ohio State. But uh, that was a great group of players you had that year. And then unfortunately, you couldn't, couldn't finish it out and couldn't play the following year as well. Um, what what are your memories of that that group and your experience through those first five games? It was a good group. I mean, it was a good group. Like you said, it was we'd been we'd been building for a, a little bit. I thought some pieces were were coming together. We got to coach your son Johnny on on the attack and and some other good players. And I thought we we had had dug in quite a bit. I think early part of the year to just find a way to get tougher and 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 get a little bit stronger in certain areas and it was it was starting to show itself on the field at times i thought the guys were playing well together they were they were digging out ground balls the way they needed to we we certainly weren't a finished product we played five games who knows how the season ends nobody's crowning a team after five games but uh, i was i thought i thought it was a it was a great group it was i loved my time at cornell it was a great program to work at and and loved coaching there and loved recruiting those guys and all that and it's just one of the chapters that go that go into this this career and and life in, in general yeah, just to to add to that, I think kind of what Jack's alluding to too. They they had beaten Ohio State, but the last game was the best game of the whole season for any team, and it was Cornell Penn State. And I remember watching that game and just being so pumped because it was such a high level game, right? You had you had such great players. You got Mac O'Keefe, you got Jeff Teat, you got all these guys, Donville, all these guys that are are now kind of. Maybe not household names, but but well known in the lacrosse community and, and the circles we all travel in. And that game in particular, I remember watching it was on LSN, and I was watching it with uh, colleagues at, at Inside the Cross, and we were just like, "This is one of these teams is going to win a national championship." And then literally, COVID happened. Like I feel like the next day, it wasn't the next game. It was like a couple days later. It was between then and the next game, and it was just like I don't think they're going to shut down. And then they, it's just gone. And I know it's like not a great thing to talk about and everyone kind of wants to move on like it never happened. But what was that like for you and all these young men who now had like a lot of decisions in front of them to deal with? Like how, what were those conversations like while you were still at Cornell in those, in those strange days leading up? I mean, I, you said everybody was going through it and, and all kind of having that same conversation and, and working through those. They were tough. They were tough because there was there was uncertainty. There was just just so many issues to deal with. I actually was I, going back through my notebooks. I just keep my stacks from all the way back to Pfeiffer, and so I was just kind of scrolling through there. Then I, I I stumbled across the notebook from that 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 time frame, and I was looking at like the Monday after that Penn State. We had a staff meeting, 
they kind of introduced like, hey, there may be some restrictions. They're going to cancel all out-of-season out of sports and, and this and that. And then like the next day, just top of my page, it was like season canceled, irreversible. And then just start working through like those next wave of conversations of like, what does this mean for guys' careers and, and things like that? So um, it was it was just it was tough, man. Like it, I don't want to call the way back through all that stuff because it's pretty yeah, pretty heavy, but it was hard, like looking at some guys that may not ever put that jersey on again, or or you have a special team that you think is is has got a lot of uh, a lot of ability, and you work so hard to get where you are, and maybe it's it's going to get cut short on you. I remember trying to keep a humble outlook on that because I was really close with the the hockey staff at Cornell and and awesome guys, both the men's and the women's staffs, and both teams were entering the first round of NCAA playoffs and both were the number one seed in, in their respective tournaments. And as, as, as much as I was like shattered and, and we were, I'm like, this this guy's like, he's like sniffing a trophy right now. And, and they're like really, really in the, at the end of it. And so it just, it was different for everybody and everybody, everybody lost something. And a lot some guys ended their careers there and some guys found ways to keep them going. Um, you know, those conversations were tough. I also think one of the things I remember from those conversations that like going through the individuals with the guys at Cornell saying I was goodbyes and I was going to move on to another, another position and, and just the way that they responded was just another challenge as part of the process here, coach, good luck, this and that. And, and it was really just a testament to like type of young men and, and, and what their belief and their mentality. And, I think I learned a lot about that, that I, I think about when I'm coaching these guys and, and you know, how to bring that, that resilience and that consistency into the way they see things. And just, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be ups and downs, like just do the best we can. We're going to obviously we chase the dream every year, but you have no control over a lot of things. Coach, you were a great player at Gettysburg. Obviously you had a, a very good professional career. Was coaching something in your blood, something that you wanted to do from a young age or is something that just clicked later on in your life? I was, I was never interested in coaching till I was basically like my late twenties. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think about it. I probably had a few people say it to me at times just cause I was one of those like hyper obsessed kids with sports. And I, I, I think about things all the time. And it's like a lot of people that they end up in a career and you remember thinking back when you were a kid, you're like, I remember writing down like stats or I remember writing like breaking down films of, of different sports or this and that. And, I, I just remember being obsessed with, with lacrosse and, and get that bug like the second I touched a stick and we would we would pass around the VHS tapes of the only games that were ever televised throughout the year. And so you take turns and, you know, we all probably watched the same like six games for like the better part of a decade. Like they were, that was just what there was. It was like the 95 championship game. Like I think they had the 96 semis with the, uh, I, I, I could scroll back through so many. I remember watching the D3 ones were on TV and I had the Nazareth Salisbury game. So they're just like those things that you just obsess over and you watch them over and over and over again, you get to know the players, the styles, and and, and it, it becomes like your foundation of, of the sport and your, and your understanding of it. And some pretty good lacrosse. It's pretty good players to learn from. And I still think back. I remember when I got to, to Princeton my first time, I worked there for a year. And I remember like just looking through file caps. I'm like, wonder if I could find any Coach Tierney notes. and. I found a practice plan. I was like almost framed it. I was like, it's so cool. It's what I grew up on. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what I was, I was getting into. I was after college trying a few different things and always stayed close with my coach from college and, and just kind of had a conversation with him. I think I might give this a shot. And so I reached out to the coach at RIT who I'd known because he was my ninth grade JV lacrosse coach, Gene Peluso. He's now at Stevens Tech. And I asked him if I could come out and, and be a volunteer and he said, yeah. And so that was, that was my first season as a coach. And uh, Never went back. Yeah, I think 
one of the things when, when you got hired after Cornell, I can't, I think I did this when you got hired by Hopkins, but Jack and I are D3 guys. You're a D3 guy. And when you got hired there, I had this thing where I worked at Inside the Cross where I just couldn't stand that Baltimore attitude of how like great lacrosse is here and everywhere else stinks and blah, blah, blah. I fought against it so hard and it kind of like became like a running joke. Like, oh, Devin's not allowed to talk about Maryland or Hopkins because he's so hard on them. But it, it's one of those things where I was so happy when you got hired there because I was just like, that's one of our guys. Like that's a D3 guy going to like one of the meccas of the sport. And I was just, I was just happy. I think I tweeted something out like one of us, like D3 life. Like that's, I love that, that stuff. And, and Jack and I talk about it all the time, how formative playing division three and having obviously vastly different experiences really shaped our love for the game. Do you think that was something, I mean, you kind of just alluded to that, but do you think that kind of gave you a little bit more drive to, to really succeed is, is like, yeah, I, I don't care where I started. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I can do. I know what I've been doing. I can do this. I'm the guy. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I guess I don't, I don't think about it as, as much of, of the, the, the reason or the, the trigger for what came after it. I, I certainly is a factor. I, I, I love my experience. It's, it's not, I guess I would say I look at, at D3 experiences is, is different from a D1, not less, but just different and different in, in, in handful of ways. It was great for me. I think I, I probably could have played other places or found other homes, but I think I found the right one for me. And I played for a guy that, you know, I saw him last Thursday and, and we hung out and just spent some time together. And like, he's still an important person in my life. I talked to him all the time and I think he was supposed to be my coach. And, and I love that it ended up that way, regardless of whether it's D1, D3, whatever. I just, I, I, there's probably some motivation that comes with being an underappreciated or undervalued commodity in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, it all comes out in wash. Like if you can do the job or not. So however that motivation gets you there, you got to find a way to, to, to be successful with the guys that you're with. So when you took over coach in terms of recruiting players at Hopkins, obviously it's going to be d- different process at, at Hopkins, the admissions and, so on and so forth. Did you find yourself recruiting very similar type of kids, players that you did at Princeton and even at Cornell? I mean, there's differences everywhere you are for for a number of reasons. A lot of the the components of the school and the size and social life and the academics, the finances, all all, all these these things are, are are factors. But you know, when you're building a team, you want to build a team that that has an identity that you understand, something that you're familiar with. And I think that's where through that process, yeah, I, I will probably end up gravitating towards certain characteristics, certain factors in, in, in young men that, uh, you know, help me work with them in, in the right way and help the team be successful overall when you find those common themes and you can find those common traits and bonds amongst the young men. Some of those other characteristics become a, a little less relevant, a little less important. And, and it, it takes a while to get to know, again, the school you're recruiting to. And, and you know, it takes a while to get to know yourself and the take type of program you want to run too. I don't, I don't, I look back at uh, the course of a career, like it, you know, I don't know, like at what point you learn certain things, but sometimes they just, they, they start to form a shape and then they make sense to you. And then you, you fit into place and you're like, I think I want to stick with that one. And so moving through this, it's the experience is just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's going to teach her as you can get, like you just got to go through things and, and learn them from, from real life. I think, I've alluded to it now. This is my third time, but Hopkins is, is not 
the easiest place to coach just because of the fan base is always, it's great to have a fervent fan base. I'll say that. It's always great. When you're not having a winning season or going to championships or even playoff appearances, it's not fun. And all you have to do is open a message board. I don't suggest ever doing that. But if you do do it, they're, they're very involved, the Hopkins fans, just like most of the fans down there are even more so than fans up here. Sorry, guys, but it's true. Like, because it, it, your first two seasons, losing record, you're adjusting, you're working with players that maybe you didn't know as well, and they're, they're new to you, and you're trying to implement new systems. And I think what a lot of people said during that time is like, well, just give him time to implement his systems and his way of of playing and it'll be fine. And most of those people were the Cornell people and the people that have kind of followed your, your coaching journey. I, I guess like last year, you, you prove all of that. Now you're 12 and six, you have a winning record. You go four and one in the big 10. You just go up against, it's a brutal team in Maryland. It's always hard to play Maryland. It's always going to be a rivalry for, for Hopkins. And, but then you go to the NCAA tournament and you beat Bryant and then you run into the national champion you lose by three. Like, that's a very successful season. But I think the stick of measurement for success at Hopkins is different. And it feels harder to say that about that season. Like, how do you look back on 2023 going into 2024 and what it did for your team and all the players on it? Well, I think the first thing is to make a clear distinction between 2023 and 2024. They're, they're two different teams. And regardless of who was returning or who was on that team from last year, what they learned or what we accomplished or who we beat, it's irrelevant. It's even one of the messages today at practice is we're, we're zero and zero. Everything about us is unproven. We have the ability to, to be whoever we want to be. So we, we start from, from kindergarten at first grade again and, and work on our basics and our fundamentals and learn how to add and subtract and build something together. And but you're not wrong with your, your, your opinion, your assessment of, of, a lot of the aspects of, of being here, working here, running this program, like it's, there's, there's, there's an intensity to it. There's no doubt about it. I think that, that that's also a, a really special place for, for people to want to be like, it's a, it's a privilege to, to, to have expectations like that. There's, there's a, there's an opportunity here to have a national championship as your number one team goal every single season, you know, cause it's Johns Hopkins. I think a, a lot of teams enter in that way, but I think the reality is that Hopkins, it, it, it comes with the membership. Like you, you sign up for this. Like this is, this is ultimately what we're doing. I'm not saying it's a failure if we don't win one, but, but that's the goal. And it's always going to be the goal. I think there's a lot of great things we can do along the way. I think we did some great things last year. Ultimately, a quarterfinal team that finishes 12 and six. Yeah, it's good. It's a good season. I was really proud of that senior class last year and the things that they did. They had three losing seasons and coaching changes and COVID and all kinds of stuff. But those guys to really bond together the way they did sacrifice and, and commit to doing something that was, I, I think, more selfless than people really grasp and, and, and make us make a difference in, in the, the trajectory of this program and their, and their time here. I thought that was a, an unbelievable success. I thought that was something to be very proud of. And, and, and I think it was a lesson for a lot of the guys that were on that team to take away from and to learn and, and to impart going forward. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, like you, you're starting all over again every year and, and you're building this team, the best version that you can this year. Even if it's one person different, it's a different dynamic, it's a different temp- chemistry, different locker room. They're, they're people are older and, and they have different experiences. So you just, you, you have to treat each one as its own, as its own group, as its own team and, and not try and 
pick up where you left off last year or or utilize any momentum that you had from last year because you just it, you'll be victim of it if you do. That's going to be quite a challenge for the players that are returning. They they're thinking we're going to start right where we left off, right? And 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 it's not it's not the case. You got to start all over again. Sure. I mean, yeah, we're we're not starting the season twelve and six. We didn't we didn't play a quarterfinal game to to enter into this year. So I think they get it. I mean, there's again, there's a lot of there's a lot of tough things. There's a lot of challenges. We we just had Paul Rabel came and spoke the other day, and and one of the lines he read it a couple times. The spotlight is hot. You know, it's hot. It's not easy to stay there. It's hard. It's hard to maintain an existence there over and over and over again because it's it's challenging in in, in more ways than you can really comprehend until until you're there on a regular basis and. Just try to keep our guys humble in their approach, disciplined in their mindset, focus on the right things and, and, and build this together. Like whatever they do, whatever they earn, like they're going to do it together. Nobody's going to give you anything. And you'll learn that at Hopkins pretty quick, but nobody, nobody wants you to win a game outside of your own locker room and your own fan base. So you, you have to, you have to go after it and take what you need you know, if you're going to get it. Now, I think just to not just counteract what I was saying about some of the, the, not super positive things. One of the great things about Hopkins is it's so, so amazing to see a game there. Like even, even not necessarily from the press box, but like even other places, like if you can go see Johns Hopkins play at home, the experience of that, the one huge stand, just like overlooking everything at Homewood, the different material in the creases, the the far side where where the kind of the the admins are and all that stuff it is there aren't lacrosse isn't like other sports where oh you have to go see well i mean syracuse is probably the only one i can think of for lacrosse right now off the top of my head but it's not like oh i have to go to fenway like for my life even if you're not red sox fans like well you should probably go to fenway if you're a lacrosse fan you should probably go to homewood you know what i mean it's just one of those places and and i actually coached a game there on spring break when I was coaching at Emerson. And I remember being in the locker room and being like, I'm in the Hopkins locker room. Whoa, this is awesome. And then like looking down the long hallway, seeing like, are the football coaches still down there? Like yeah. their offices. So like just seeing that, like looking down that long hallway, it's a beautiful wood. And you just, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, I'm coaching this, this team that's not very good. And we're going to go play on this amazing field against this other team that's also not very good. I feel so weird about it, but I, I remember coming out of that locker room just being like, this is amazing. There's no one here. I don't care. But this is awesome just to coach at Homewood. It's just such a cool feeling. And then seeing games when PLL visited, going to see them in, in Hopkins games in person, when they play, especially when they play Maryland. Oh, my God. Like one of the greatest experiences you can have. So for all like the heat that I give Hopkins and like part of it's kind of an inside joke for me and people that have read my work for a long time, it is a very special place to play a lacrosse game. Did, did you feel that when you, your first time walking out, like just being like, whoa, I'm a, I'm a coach at Hopkins. We're, we're at home, we're at home with, this is awesome. Yeah. There's a reality check on a regular basis here. Just having a journey like I've had and in, in the places I've been, like I'm looking out my window right now and, and I get to see the field, which just got, they're, they're rolling out you know, the little beads and whatnot to put down a new piece of turf because he just replaced it a few weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, that's a, you, you put that as well as anybody could. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing in, in, in more ways than I can, I can explain on here, but trying to keep that 
appreciation, that excitement, that reverence for this, this, this program, this opportunity, being a part of this team, relevant for the guys, for myself, for the staff, but keeping that, that, that excitement and, 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 and love, passion for it fresh for the guys on a regular basis. Cause it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I've, I've coached a lot of places. I've, I've coached games. I've played games in, in some, in some, some tough, tough places. I don't know if I could find them again, but get a chance to be here. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a different, different element on game days, different experience. There's, there's a lot of eyes. It's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of opinions, but there's a lot of love. There's a lot of cheers. There's a lot of celebration when you're doing things well. And I, I think the guys have to have to have that appreciation constantly. I think I I do as well. And 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 it's it's important to, to keep the reality checks and watching the setup on game day. I mean, they bring the rollers out, they brush the turf on game day, to make sure beads are even, stuff like that. It's neat. Yeah, that says a lot to the players too to have a Paul Rabel come back and and speak to it, to them. Obviously, one of the best players of all time, and and just the the history of all the the number of players that come through there, the national championships. I remember I used to go down and visit the uh, Lacrosse Hall of Fame used to be on, on the campus. And that was pretty cool to go watch a game and check out the, yep. the, the Hall, of, Hall of Fame and just a great lacrosse experience. Um, and I remember, I think I was against Syracuse a number of years ago, and they couldn't fit all the people in. The, there was not enough room for, for a number of players. I was just, I was just floored by, like, you can't fit any more fans in there. It's just, it was because it was a big game. I forget what year it was. It was Casey Powell's senior year, I think it was. And, but I've never seen that ever before. I mean, when you, when you talk about lacrosse, you talk about John Hopkins and maybe some of the other Ivies and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's got a lot of tradition, a lot of, a lot of history, and a lot of great players come through there. Yeah. My favorite of all time, Kyle Harris, K18. There you go. Just went into the whole thing the other day. So in the Hall of Fame, that's right. Uh, Coach, I want to talk to you about y- your staff, right? I think yeah. you have a wildly interesting staff. And also, I feel bad because I didn't know John Cohen was working for you for ops. Um, oh, really? If you're an old school MLL head like me, because I covered it forever, John Cohen was the one of they're kind of like SIDs. They're like, they're like GM slash PR guys back in the day. Everyone had like seven different roles for an MLL team. Mm-hmm. John Cohen was the best. He was with the Outlaws. I would send him stuff. And this is when like Reese and Staggs were coaching there. And they just were like, Cohen, can you just deal with Devitt and like give him whatever he needs? And he would. And a lot of, a lot of the guys that had that role were sick of me by the end, but he was always awesome and cool. And he must do a great job because now he's working for you here in this part. And I think that's, that's awesome. So if you see John today, just be like, David shouts out. I, I'd like, because I remember dudes that treat me well, man. I remember people think you only remember the ones that treat you badly. No, no. You remember the people that treat you well. And then you remind them, like, thank you for that. Like, I, I, I take Especially a lot. Especially you, because not I many know. people treat you well. <laughs> Dude, you're getting, you're getting right? best to David. Yeah, yeah. This is, I was, the, I was a maniac. You have no, people listen to this podcast, like younger people, like, you got no idea, man. There was no. There was no rules. I I was I was pretty ruthless with a lot of the stuff I was doing. But in, in addition to that, John Crawley, uh, Brian Kelly, Jameson Coaster. I can I. How big is Jameson Coaster? Is he six eight? <laughs> Every time I see him, it looks like he grows he's there, bridges. He's he, huge. He's up there. Yeah, he's tall. He's he's a big dude. He, he works out. He's he's uh he's he's in great shape. He's 
one of those guys, like he mixes right in with the players in in the workouts and stuff like that. He, he's a maniac, but yeah, he's, he's awesome. He looks like a pro wrestler. It, it's, it's wild. Something like that. He could probably be a, he could probably be an NFL. Uh, I, I mean, he's got it. He would have to bulk up if he was going to do it, but he could be a tight end. I think he was a quarterback in high school. I think he was an awesome quarterback from what Jesus. I remember, but he was MVP of the Turkey Bowl here back in the day when he was a player. So I haven't seen him throw football too many times, but I'm excited yeah. about it. I mean, seeing him at face off stuff always threw me off. I was like, oh, face off stuff. That's why oh, I went yeah, yeah. A, a tournament a while ago and, and it was just face off guys. It was the, the face off showcase in New Jersey. And he was there and I was like, what? Oh my God. Everybody's getting in on this. And I guess that leads us into our next question, which we've been asking most of the coaches we've had on is the, the whole face-off thing went crazy down in IMLCA. People want to get rid of it. People want to just do rakes. People don't want to clamp. What's your opinion on changing face-offs? It's such, I mean, it's impossible to answer that question and stay in, stay in neutral on a podcast and not fire up either side of, of anything. I, I love face-offs. It's unique to our game. I don't want to get rid of them. I think they're cool. I I also think there's ways that I, if you like, my opinion on it is that there is a rule that we haven't we haven't enforced well enough in the past, and that's led us to kind of manipulate, manufacture a million other rules, and that's that you you should be able to cover the ball and withhold it from play. But we've let that happen in the number in the last bunch of years, and so because of that, then we've had to change like the way you grip your stick and the way you stand and how far apart things have to be and blah, blah, blah. But all of it is revolving around one thing that like, if, if you're allowing somebody to cover the ball and withhold it from play, then it's going to bring in a whole million other things. But if you, if you enforce a rule that already exists, maybe it's going to change face offs. I, I mean, I, I could probably, I'd be stupid to say it, it, it wouldn't, but I think they changed a bunch in the last handful of years, not to say that they've gotten worse. I'm just saying like, there's a rule in place that we feel like we've ignored. Like I'm watching guys like spin around in a circle and I'm yelling at the ref, like how long does he get to spin? How many, is it, a, is how far degrees does he go? Does he, does he get a chance to look up or not look up or what? I'm like, I don't know any of it, but all I know is it says in the rules, he's not supposed to do it. So I, and, and I'm, maybe I'm set myself up because we got face off guys who do that stuff. So I, I just, I think this, the spirit of that it could allow that, that to be a little bit more consistent with the day the ball comes out. I think, if a position exists where somewhere between Kyle Harrison and Zach Courier are not the automatic best at it in the history of the world, like then maybe maybe that position's a little overmanaged because those guys are as good at the middle of the field, ground balls and and competing as there is. That that if you're not allowed to cover it, I bet you those two guys would probably cycle back to the top of that list of all time best draw guys. So I, I just look at it in that way. I don't know. Like it, it it's become a specialized position and not anybody's fault and there's nothing wrong with it. I just I think there's ways to adjust it so that we don't have to keep the ball withheld from play. And that was that was something I I'm I'm on that side of things. I don't know where that puts me. I don't know who's gonna send me hate mail now because of it, but I think the ball can come out without being covered. I I, I agree with you on that. I mean what I played a long time ago and and when I played it was a rake. You had the best athletes, two way middies facing off. I mean, you could actually go in and, and hit the face-off guy. You could go in and throw your shoulder on the guy. It was it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. But careful, don't start telling people to do that. Okay. I know, no, we we that's like I'm a cancel on this podcast. I'm sure, I'm don't sure. do that. Don't I'm do sure that. some guys will love that again. <laughs> no helmets, right, Jack? Yeah, no helmets. <laughs> Wooden sticks. Yep, 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 yep. And uh, dirt field, no grass. Well, if you take away the clamp, you got to take away from goalies too. That's my what argument. Can you take away from a goalie. Take away the clamp. He can't. He can't withhold it either. 
Oh, that, I got you. You know what I mean? Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of the couch. Good that's point. The, that's the wise ass counter that everybody's giving on the internet that yeah. I just like gave life to. But I mean, it's true. If you can't clamp anywhere else in the field, fine. Then the goalie can't clamp. So then you change the rule for that. And how does that change how how goalies play? I think it actually, you could argue that's beneficial too. That now you can just oh you can't clamp it. You all you have to scoop it. You got to get out of your safe little space now. Yeah. And now I can kick this in or you got to come out of your crease and I can throw an elbow at your head. Like that's kind mm-hmm. of like, there's a lot of different yeah, ways to play point. it. That's like, you know, there's counterpoints for everything. I think just people like face off people in particular, like I like them. I'm friends with several face off people. I don't want to sound anti face off people, but you're face-off all head- people. You're all, head- you're all head cases anyway. Like <laughs> I like it. I I know you coach high school, high school kid. Per- Stuff in club. Who's are the weirdest kids still goalies or is it face off guys now? Because it's not because I think it's face off kids now. Uh, I, I think it's a toss up. But I really do. <laughs> I don't know. Are you got to be a little bit different to play either position? You got to be. I think uh, you do. I think face off mentally, mentally very strong, the especially di- the face off position. The difference is face off didn't used to be that way. Mm. I think it was just kind of like it now evolved into that because it's so specialized. Just like being a goalie is so specialized. So like if you're going to compare. Things are too specialized. Well, then a goalie is too specialized. Yeah. It's just devil's advocate. I know that's annoying, but mm-hmm. coach, I'd mm-hmm. like the to specialize component. What, 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 what identifies them as, as weird? I think what it, what rank weirdos in every spot. I don't know if it has yeah, to do true. with 100%. Or specializer now. It's more high. It's the percentage, right? Okay. Like percentage of position wise, like that's the weirdest dude on my team. I think it's probably the goalie more than 50% of the time. Mm. Is that fair? That's not, that's not crazy. No. I don't think that's even contra. I bet goalies would be like, yeah, that's right. I got some weird middies. So I, I, I don't, it's hard for me to even categorize them like that. What well, you have my, yeah. you have my favorite midi who's actually an attackman. Who's and that? if I don't talk about it, or if I do talk, I've gotten hate mail for writing too much about it. So I'm going to be on the podcast and just talk about it. I love Jimmy Ayers. I don't care what he thinks. I think he's incredible. I've watched him for three years. St. John's prep, just repeat it. Uh, I think he's one of the most dynamic players I've ever seen at the high school level. And when he committed to you guys, I was like, that's incredible. That's so amazing that he got Jimmy Ayers. And now I'm like, please keep him. Let anyone come get him. And I remember talking to people in, in lacrosse. I was like, dude, this guy's nasty. Nasty, you're, you're going to see. And they're like, hi, small. I'm like, it doesn't matter, dude. The thing that makes him special is his IQ. And I think he played a lot for you in the fall. I'm not going to like ask you where he's going to play or whatever, but I know that he's a, a good part of the team. I've talked to, to Coach Pynchon about him as well. And I, I just, I can't say enough good things about him. And in this job, making the transition to cover high school, it was so great to have like a player like that to just be like, okay, that's the best thing I'm going to see. So how do a lot of other guys stack up to that? Because I was still adjusting my level. Cause I'm coming from pro to D1 to D3, D2. And now I'm going to a different level. It's not lower. I'm just using it as an example of pyramid. And uh, he was one of my, my bars, right? Like if you're, if you're, I see a kid from another part of the country and someone's like, Hey, is he any good? I'll be like, well, in my head, I'm like, is he better than Jimmy Ayers? <laughs> sometimes, a lot of times it's no, but sometimes it's yes. And that was kind of my bar. And uh, I just think it's great that he's a freshman and he's playing for you. I think that's going to be. Amazing, and I'm excited to keep following his career, even though he's playing down there and it's not really a team we cover that much. 
you'll have to start covering us more then. <laughs> well, we're New England lacrosse journal. He he is from New England, so He's I can from New England. You got I can fudge him. it. I can yeah. fudge it sometimes. I will follow him, and and it's funny because like I actually got hate mail over the break. Hate email. This is great. The hate email always starts with "Hey, love your stuff," but why are you always talking about guys like? Jimmy Ayers and um, O.U. Mansky and all these guys that like are are 23s and you didn't talk about this kid, this kid, this kid, and this kid. And it's like, oh, I've made it. I've made it now. I have, I have, I have someone nitpicking everything that I do. This is great. I feel great. But I, again, I just, what, what has your, been your experience with him? I'm not going to ask like what he's going to play or whatever, but what's been your experience with him just in the fall? Uh, he's, he's doing great. He's a great young man. He works his butt off. He is highly competitive. Uh, he is a, a pretty, pretty aware and, and, and smart lacrosse player, makes good decisions. He's more athletic than I think I originally knew when we were recruiting him, but that's also a product of it being a few years afterwards. He's not huge, but he, but he's strong and he's quick and he's a, he's pretty bouncy. He tested pretty well with one our explosive and, and, and jumping and stuff like that. I don't know where he's going to play. He's, he's a pretty good player. We'll see. We got a lot of older guys, but but he's pushing. And I don't I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. I think I think he will be a fun career to follow. A little bit about recruiting. Um, do you find at Hopkins you have more inquiries about the program from from student athletes than anywhere else you've been? I don't think so. I think because it's. I, I mean, I I think it's all it's all relative to where you are. I mean, I think there's probably D three schools that get as many inquiries as is any D1 school because you've got more people that are probably thinking they could play there or interested and it's a high academic school so that filters out a lot of kids not a lot of kids are looking for that and a lot of guys they, they wouldn't they wouldn't qualify it's a great lacrosse program so there's a lot of people excited and interested about that I, I, I don't know to be honest with you like how it would rank I I would venture to guess that there's there's plenty of like I got buddies that that tell me about their inboxes and they coach at, at different levels and I don't envy that either. So everybody's everybody's doing the same stuff and sorting through. And I, you know, when I was at Pfeiffer, I was I was going to email every kid that emailed us. At, at and Hopkins, it's different, but we get way more interest. It's just we're, we're a little more selective on that first wave, maybe. What is the top major at Hopkins? Like, what are, what are most of the kids on the team majoring on on our team? Economics, political science. I actually just had it in front of me. It's my practice plan. Where did I put it? I just had it. I left it downstairs in the locker room, I think. International studies. We have one engineer, maybe two. There's a couple guys on the science side. I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty normal. It's a liberal arts school, so it's pretty, pretty common. Yeah, I was, I was asking because I know like some of these. Neuroscience. Players. I got one kid in neuroscience. Oh, wow. That's awesome. to be an eye surgeon. Yeah, he's awesome. I always give, give. <laughs> Shouldn't say this on the podcast when I'm going to anyway. Kyle Harrison was a creative writing major. And I was like, oh, yeah. you were what? I was like, where's the writing, man? What are you doing? Why aren't we writing about lacrosse? What's happening? Uh, and he's just like, I, I was like, I'm just kidding. You do a lot more. But I, I always like am looking for, especially pros now and, and guys that are in college to like write. I'm like, right, man, we need more of it in the sport. I always like, if I have, if I have a soapbox to stand on, I'm just like, Please, if you if you enjoy writing, even if it's not journalistic, like if you enjoy writing about lacrosse, please write about lacrosse. Like we we like want it and we need it. Like there's just so few voices, and I feel like there's so many. I try to give opportunities to people here, if, if you know, as much as I can. But I just I love when players fully invest. 
Okay, you just, want to start writing for for Kyle? Yeah. Do you want to start writing? Was that a good speech? Did we get him. You could write down what I say, but if I start typing it out, you're not gonna be. Or it's not gonna make sense to anybody. So I don't. I don't want to write. I don't want to write. No, I did not study English or writing. And what did you major in? What did you major? Business management. Oh yeah. Well, hey, look what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look what you're doing. Doing great, Coach. Last one for me. We're going into 2024. Obviously, everyone's talking about practice. Talking about practice. Mm -hmm. Practice, not the game. Practice. You have an incredible schedule. Just looking at this, it's a murderer's row, man. You open with with Denver after a scrimmage at UMBC, Towson, Georgetown, Loyola, North Carolina, Virginia, Syracuse. Just a straight, hey, let's run casual through the ACC uh, before you even start Big Ten play after the game against Navy. I know it's hard for a lot of schools to construct their, their out-of-conference schedule, but what has that process been like for you the last three years, and how has it evolved into what I'm looking at now, which has to be one of the highest RPIs in the country? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where you start from, and trying to trying to build a schedule that can, that can help you compete in the tournament, get into the tournament, prepare yourself for the tournament, give the guys an opportunity to to learn and experience things throughout the season that's going to help them get to a championship game and, and ultimately bring home a, a championship. So it's 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 an it's an opportunity at Hopkins to play the best teams in the country and some of it's the the tradition, some of it's the location, some of it's the facility. Maybe somebody just wants to buy Hopkins because they think they could beat us and and, and that's fine too. Right? So I I want to play the best schedule that we can possibly put together. Within reality, I'm not going to travel 12 times in a row to do it, but uh, I, I think there's 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 opportunities to do that here. So that that's that's been a lot of the evolution. It's like how do we get the best teams on the schedule? Keep some traditional rivalries. Make sure you play in some of the local teams whenever you can. Maybe we could play a couple more games. It's sometimes that's a little crazy to consider doing that because we got to fit them. I mean, we only have one weekday game, and it's in between. I think Denver and Georgetown or something like that, or, or Georgetown Loyola. So it's not easy to get those things in there. So maybe we could find a couple more play two game weekends. I've done that in the past and whatever. So we'll, we'll see it. it, I don't know if it's going to be, if it's a great idea, if we don't do well with it. So we, we, we got to do well and then we'll see judge it later. Coach, that's, that's going to do it. It's a great job. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. Sure. Job coach. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming on Pete. Thanks Jack. Good job to you too, Jack. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, John and Brian, I told John and Brian you were going to be on the podcast today. They send they send their best. Good, I love them. Great kids. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And your kids are good. Well, three, right? Three, yeah, five, four, and one, one and a half. Yeah, they're they're wild animals, but they're good. Good I, feel. I want to tell one one final mini story. So, in Lake Placid, you see like all these people that play all the time. They're like. John Grant Jr., you got all these guys walking around. And uh, the, the great thing about Lake Placid is it's one of those places where, like, you just, people are there to, like, do their thing. They're not there to, they're there with their friends, right? So I'm walking down the street, and I see, I see you, and I see the look in your eye like, okay, I don't really want to talk to Devitt for 20 minutes. And I just <laughs> went, I can see that because I can recognize it in people now because they know that I never shut up. Yeah. So I see it and I'm like, and you were the relief on your face. You like couldn't, you had, you had someone on your, one of your kids on your shoulders and the relief on his face was like amazing. I was just like, I know how it's played. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother you. This is a, we're in a safe space. We're downtown in Placid. It's like a unwritten rule not to bother anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was great. And uh, I appreciate it. And uh, no shade against it at all. But it's one of my favorite things. I tell people about it all the time. They're like, 
because you talk to people outside of lacrosse about situations like that or just Lake Placid in and of itself as a tournament. They're like, so you go and play in this thing and it's all guys that played like pro and they're all like 50 or 45 and stuff. And I'm like, mm. yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. No, that, that doesn't happen in either sport. I'm like, I know. That's why it's awesome. That's great. Great so, event. Uh, yeah. Well, story. you can bother me anytime you want, Kyle. I will always, I will always enjoy talking to you. During season, it's definitely going to happen. So just prepare. <laughs> That's good. Okay. All right. Good luck with the family. Good luck with the season, Coach. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. And thanks again for listening to Doing the Cross Trails, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs>